0: time for coffee with the chicken ladies a podcast for people who love chickens
1: hey everybody and welcome it's christine holly from coffee with the chicken ladies we're here and this is episode number 87 of our podcast where we talk about everything chicken family fun and more chickens more chickens we drink a ton of coffee i'm talking a ton but most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them, too. Don't forget, today we're brewing coffee from a listener over on the eastern shore of Maryland. Stephanie sent us some absolutely fantastic coffee from Rise Up Coffee Company. It's delicious. Yeah, it's, it, thank you so much, Stephanie. We really love it. Thank you, Stephanie. Okay, so are we ready to sip some Rise Up coffee and chat? We are. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing? It's bad over here. <laughs> 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 well, you're still dealing with the aftermath of that gigantic storm that went through. We're two weeks out from that. Yeah. It's okay, Amasa. The things we had come down were not in the sheep fields. They were not near the coops, So we're, yeah. we're fine. Let me first explain to everybody who maybe doesn't follow us on Instagram or saw our post what happened. Very unusually strong thunderstorms came through central Maryland and basically had tornado-like wind that just ripped through my property and took a very very large tree down and destroyed my chicken run. Yeah, devastation. It looked bad. Yeah, it really was. It was bad. And this is what I have to say: those Amish built coops. <gasps> Holy moly! Saved Still my standing. chicken. Still standing. So it comes through, it wasn't a long storm, it wasn't catastrophic rains, it was like five minutes of some sort of terrible wind. I think you had a funnel cloud. Something. We're you are sitting can see the path that it took. Oh, yeah. So we're sitting there, and then Sophia says, uh, the tree, the tree, and I look out, mm-hmm. and the tree is through the run, and okay. I just ran. I get back there. This is how strong that coop is. They're eating their food under the coop like nothing happened. <laughs> and I'm like trying to grab them. It's in the middle of the storm. Sophia comes running out. I'm like, go grab the treats. And we start shaking the treats and getting them to chase us out. Yeah. And we got them in the garage and got them safe. But it was scary. I bet it was. Not fun. It's been a long time. But my Amish coop over on the farm had essentially a tree-sized limb come down on it. Yeah. And that coop was unscathed. The run was in treads, but the yeah. coop was unscathed. Well, it's like I was sending you the pictures and you were like, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. this is what it felt like. And while I'm sitting here talking about it, I do want to give two thanks, two shout outs to one, my neighbors right next door who that day saw us out there came over with their chainsaw, mm-hmm. Tom and Michelle, and started helping us. And then our friend Ryan, who, when we need him, he's here. Yeah. yeah. And he came over and helped with his large SUV and tow ropes, and we had to pull the tree off. Yeah. Yeah. We're dealing with shingle damage of the coop. Yeah, it's, it's not terrible. I mean, it's miraculous. The, you and I pop the door open, and inside, it's completely unscathed. It's there's like a, nothing happened. There's a little dent on the flashing on one side. That's and it. Like three torn up shingles, and that's it. That is it. And you and know, that was a big tree, massive. It took a car to pull the tree off. Yeah. So, yeah, I thank God that my chickens are okay. It was the big girl run. We were laughing. We were like, it's stress eating. They were stress eating. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, your run is in shambles and you're just under the coop just like, oh, let me grab a snack. Stomach first, always. Yeah. Well, on a slightly brighter note, I want to wish happy birthday to my amazing husband. Happy birthday, Pete. And actually, this episode drops on my sister Jill's birthday. So happy birthday, Jill. Happy birthday, Jill. I've been making a lot of cakes. You have been making cakes. Here's the other thing we didn't mention. I had no power for 12 hours, but you had no power for like two, three days. Yeah. We're prepared for that, but it's still... It's hard. You know, it's hot as blazes, and all I want is a shower. And yeah. Well, to people who don't understand, we are both on wells. Yeah, We're not part of any county or city water system. system. This, is water system this is all well water. So when you don't have power, your well pump does not pump. Right. And again, we are prepared. We have some things yeah. in place, and we have those amazing solar-powered... Jackery battery packs Yeah That we could plug The freezer into And my coffee maker For 10 minutes in the morning Well it's like It affects everything Even the bathroom you are like Look go sweat out A cup of water Because you can't Go I'm to the bathroom <laughs> Pete has one bathroom I have the other <laughs> We don't have kids, so that makes things a lot less. Oh, man. Yeah. But when the power came back on, the first thing I did was sprint into the kitchen and make Pete's birthday cake. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, if it's going out, I'm getting this cake made. Yeah, exactly. Alyssa was here when the power went out and she was like, "Uh, just started the coffee maker. Uh It was halfway through and she's like, I just want my coffee. (laughs) And I was like, nope, not going to happen. It's out. I hope everybody is okay. Central Maryland was hit so hard. So many trees. Yeah, it was bad. Okay. Let's move on. I want to ask everybody a huge favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcasts and please leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button because that's another great way to grow our show and you never miss an episode. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can go check out our merchandise on our Etsy shop. You can become a patron of the show. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. The other thing you can do to help support our show is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and buy products from our sponsors. Yay. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tee for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tee. They are so cute and so soft. In the June box, I absolutely love the embroidered rooster apron and the egg carton stickers. I love those chicken leg bands with charms and the egg cartons that go with those stickers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your purchase and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box with at least a 3-month subscription. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. It's time for the Breed Spotlight. Yeah. 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 Okay. This week's Breed Spotlight is the Potch of Stroom kuk and you can say that all day long because I'm not even going to attempt it. Indeed. But yes, this is a South African breed of chicken. Yes. It was developed by C.L. Maris in the late 1940s and ni- late 1950s. It hasn't been around too, too long. No, not really. It was developed at the Research Institute of Animal Husbandry and Dairying in Pontius Room, South Africa. Yes. And there's actually a reason why we're going to be talking about this chicken. Right, right, Our guests coming up, it'll all tie in right. together. Right. So, cuckoo is just the way they say cuckoo. Yeah. So, cuckoo refers to the color pattern. Mm-hmm. So, this chicken is black and white barred or cuckoo in color. Right. Sometimes you hear it referred to as the potch or the poch cuckoo. I'm just going to refer to it as the potch. The potch is a lot easier than potch of strewn. It's very difficult to say. Yeah. So, I was trying to do a little digging around to see if I could find out anything else about C.L. Maris. There wasn't much other than he was wealthy. The library at Stellenbosch University is named after him, thanks to a generous donation. And if you want one named after you, that's the way to do it. You need to cuff up the box, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or do something stellar. A couple things to know about the potch this chicken is not a hybrid. Okay. And the reason I'm saying that is because there was careful breeding over generations, mm-hmm. and it did eventually yield a chicken that will breed true. So, you're not always mixing chickens to get this chicken. Right. If you breed a potch to a potch, you get a potch. Right. Say that again. <laughs> no. The foundation breeds, they used black Australorp roosters crossed with white leghorn hens. Right. And from that, any striped hens were later crossed with barred rock roosters to provide homozygous genes for color. So, once they had the color perfected, then they started breeding for a few other traits. And that was mostly to make the chicken fit into the South African climate and conditions. It's pretty rough terrain. They have to be able to fend for themselves. Right. And you need a strong chicken to do that. The Australorp being the Australian utility Orpington. Right. It does make a lot of sense to use that so heavily as a foundation breed. All three are big time egg layers also. That's true. And then you have the Australorp, which is going to give you size. Yeah, it's going to give you size and it's going to give you a chicken that evolved in Australia. Right. So it's used to some climate extremes. Right. And this chicken has yellow legs. Yeah. The final result was a large barred bird had the yellow legs and a straight comb. Yes. Straight combs are great for that environment. Right. Because they help with the cooling. Yes. I also read in a couple places that this is an auto-sexing breed. Okay. I'm guessing there are different markings because of the barred rock. You know, we've said many times how many times barred rocks are used to create auto-sexing breeds. Oh, yeah, they are. It's interesting. And they're not auto-sexing on their own, though. That's the funny part. Right. So roosters are weighing in between six and six and a half pounds. Hens are around five. They're a medium-sized kind of bird. They're not little. They're not huge. They essentially come out as a good dual-purpose breed. They start laying like heritage breed birds. They lay around six months. Mm -hmm. They're that late layer. Yeah. Not Um, as crazy late as some, but yeah. And they are layers of brown eggs and about 200 a year. So they're kind of in that category. Once you get past 200, you're pretty good. I would think nothing less from the champion laying australorps and leghorns. You exactly. Know? Like, they do go broody and are good at raising clutches of chicks. This is good to know because this is very important in that area. This is for underdeveloped areas, for people who don't have electricity, which is a real thing in this area. They need chickens that are going to sit on eggs and hatch them. Right. And because of that, the shroom is very popular as a dual-purpose breed in many of the rural areas in South Africa. Yeah. So what do we know about their personality? Oh, they have a very nice personality. They're great family birds. I mean, when you think about it, you are putting together some really nice birds. Astrolorps, Leghorns, and the Bard Rocks. Barred rocks can be a little bully with other chickens, but not people. A pack of barred rocks can sometimes... With other patt- chickens. Yeah, exactly. But they're really Bikes. nice. people. Yeah, with people, They're dual purpose, and they're supposed to be good in all climates. Cold, yeah, warm. I mean, that's what we saw repeatedly, that they deal with climate extremes pretty well. They're supposed to be really good foragers. They really like yeah. their free-range time. I can see that with all the birds they picked. Uh I mean, it does make sense to take these birds and give yourself a champion bird for this area. Yeah. And it's very necessary. They can give so much to the people that live in that area. I would think so. There are a lot of indigenous breeds of poultry in Africa. I mean, yeah. and some of them were really, really interesting. But we ended up choosing this breed because it actually has a paper trail of documentation right? so that we could use it for research. And I'd love to revisit some of those other breeds if we could find more information. Yeah, and Some of them are gorgeous. If you are in South Africa, you can buy this breed at Jacob's Poultry. This is good to know. Yeah, absolutely. We have South African listeners. If you are there, Hey, check check this breed out. Send us your pictures of this breed. We we would would love to see it and give you a story. We would love it. Roosty's proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosty's store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do it yourself port feeder kits, Water or nipple and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores, they're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. So, are we ready to move on to main topic? Yeah. Yeah. This week's main topic, we have an interview with John Moyle. John is the poultry specialist for the University of Maryland Extension Agency. Not only does he help all of us here in Maryland with our poultry issues, Mm -hmm. John also spends a lot of time in the rest of the world countries in Africa and Asia working with primarily groups of women and helping them manage their poultry. This was one of the things that was very fascinating in our conversation with John and hearing what goes on around the world and about the many things we need to be grateful for for here because there are some places that chickens are basically all they have. Right. So, let's bring in John. Enjoy the interview. You've been with the agency for 10 years now and you are a lifelong chicken farmer. Perfect.
0: Yeah, some of my earliest memories are when I left my brother stuck in a coyote trap at the chicken house and didn't tell my oh. parents. Oh, <laughs>
1: so, my goodness.
0: Yeah. Did you just, get
1: in trouble for this job?
0: Yeah, actually, I did. When <laughs> I finally found, I just went home, went to my room, shut the door. I didn't tell anybody. I was probably no. about four or five at the time. We were told, don't go down here. There's a coyote trap. Don't do this. Well, two little boys, what's the first thing you do? You go check out the guy. I
1: love it. I love it. So everyone, now we're going to know this is going to be such a fun conversation to have with John. Starting off with that bit, that's for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank
0: you. Glad to be here.
1: So I wanted to start off just asking you to give us a little bit of an update on the avian flu situation. How is it looking here on the East Coast or the Mid Atlantic where we are?
0: You know, it, it does seem to be really letting up. I'm, I'm curious. I haven't seen any data about what's going on in wild birds, but we're not seeing any farms we haven't seen any farms for a long time. So like I've telling some of my friends, you know, if you want to let your birds out for a few hours in the afternoon and then put them back in in the evening, that's probably okay. Mm-hmm. But again, it depends. Make sure that you keep waterfowl away from them. If your chickens go down to a waterway, that might not be good then. But if they're just in your backyard, there's no other wild water, waterfowl around. You're probably pretty safe letting them out for a little bit.
1: Okay. So all of our listeners might know a few months ago when the avian flu was pretty prevalent in our area and around the nation, Holly Ann had a very nice conversation with John and we did a mini avian flu report on Mm -hmm. what he had told us. And that information, thank you, John, was awesome. We love putting it out to our listeners. Do you have any temperature range right now? I know everyone's kind of talking about when it hits 80, when it hits 85, it dies off in the environment.
0: There's so much we don't know. I've never heard there's a certain temperature you have to hit because there's water. You know, let's be honest. Viruses love moist. They love cool. So sunshine's actually one of the best things we have. A lot of sunshine's actually better really than the temperature in a lot okay. of ways because the ultraviolet light kills viruses. So it's just, there's so many things, you know, if it's, if it's on the mud in the bottom of a pond, it could be there for four or five months or, and it could be hot outside. So it's just, there's so much interaction that we really don't know when to really say without going and sampling everything saying, oh, there's nothing here. So, there's really not, say, a temperature, but what you want to do is look at what's going on in your area, in your vicinity, and say, okay, look, it seems to be letting up. Maybe I can be a little more free with my birds going outside. But remember, we want to practice biosecurity at all times because biosecurity not only works about avian influenza, it works on all diseases. And that's one thing we really want our people to know And when we work with growers. You know, we don't do this just for avian influenza. We do it for all the diseases. So, working together, we can help, you know, slow down the spread of everything.
1: Exactly right. We have had a lot of sunshine lately, which I've been welcoming and saying, okay, my girls are so tired of being in. But you brought up a good point when speaking with Holly Ann a few months ago. Free ranging in the winter doesn't give them a whole lot anyway. If you're in an area where the grass isn't growing Mm -hmm. and there aren't a lot of bugs, keeping them in isn't as bad. We talk a lot about boredom busters and keeping their minds kind of fresh while they're in the run to keep them happier but now is a time it's starting to get warmer the sun's killing this virus off slowly as it gets even warmer we can let them out more a little bit around their run
0: area right and and one thing i like my daughter used to do when she had birds go out in the afternoon you're home from work it's five o'clock you let them loose they're going to run around the yard you're there to keep an eye on things and then they're going to naturally go back in the, in the evening when the sun starts going down. So you don't have to worry about pin them up. Just shut them up. Make sure you close them in. You know, you're That's letting right. them out. They're getting some of that outside interaction. But at the same time, it's in an environment that you can kind of like control, kind of like a toddler. You don't really want to just run them all out there without keeping an eye on them.
1: <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Supervised free range is all that we mm-hmm. want everyone to do. It's all we do. Okay. So we should ask John a little bit about himself.
0: Ooh, what do you want to know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell us how do you get started with chicken? Yeah.
0: Okay, so I grew up in Idaho. So I'm from the other side of this country than I am now. I actually grew up on a mink farm. Wow. Mink. It's one of the most politically incorrect things in the world today. Back then it wasn't. Right. right. I'm I'm also allergic to like hair, fur, dander, stuff like that. So it was always a miserable existence. But we always worked with poultry farmers because we got all the coal eggs, all the things that couldn't go for human food, we would then feed to animals. So because of that, I was always on farms and all that. And I just, I enjoyed it. I actually went to college to be an accountant. And was doing really well. And then one day I looked around at everybody in their white shirt, suits, and ties and thought, I'm going to kill somebody if I keep doing this. I got a good job.
1: That's a good sign you're in the wrong line.
0: Yeah, I'm going yeah. crazy in here. So I had friends that were in animal science and they talked me in to say, hey, you got to come try one the two of these classes. And I enjoyed it. So I've just kind of stayed that way ever since. So, nice. Where did you go to school? I went to Brigham Young University for my bachelor. And then I have my master's and PhD from Arkansas.
1: Nice. nice. So tell us a little bit about your day-to-day about being an extension agent.
0: Well, we get stuff like this. I mean, this is the fun (laughs) stuff. You never know what you're going to get. And I think that's one of the funnest things about this job. I can get a phone call. I think the other day was Vent Gleet. You don't know what's coming. You don't know when it's going to be or what it's going to be about. And you deal with it. Or it could be a farm call where we'll go out to farms. I was talking with somebody today that's looking at a certain type of birds, you know, and he was wanting my opinion on it. And it's really cool. They've got a whole bunch of genetics in these birds that they're trying to develop a breed. But if you're going to develop a breed, what is your standards? What is your goals? What do you want it to be? Do they breed true? So you've got to work on all this. And it was a really fun conversation. So you just never know what you're going to do. There is paperwork because unfortunately it is a government job. But
1: but you traveled to other farms also.
0: We have. I haven't been traveling since COVID hit. Not COVID. Avian flu. Avian flu. I mean, this whole thing hit me bad. Before COVID hit, we had infectious choriza hit us. So we shut all our programming down for that. We opened back up. We're open programming for about two or three weeks. And then COVID hit. So they shut everything down for COVID. So we finally started opening back up. And then we get AI. I'm like, you know, it's just one after another.
1: Yeah. And I think an important part of your job is educating everyone.
0: Right. I got to brag about it, Maryland. And well, Delaware too. We actually have done very well. If you look at the farms, we did get into our layer industry, but we did not see the lateral spread one farm to another into the broilers, which means our broiler farmers. Yes, we had two farms broke, but they were independent introductions from wild animals. We're not sure exactly how, but we know there was no connection with the other farms. So, hey, you know, out of our what, 1300, 1400 farms we have out here in one of the busiest waterways in the world, you only have two of our broiler farms pop. That shows that our farmers are listening to what we're educating on. And I think that's very important. And we're not seeing a lot in small flock either, which shows us that our small flock owners are listening as well. So I think our outreach efforts, what you guys do, what we do, what we're talking to people about, you know, keeping birds safe. I think it's paying off.
1: Oh, yeah. That's one reason we decided to do this starting a year and a half ago. Holly is a lifelong farm girl. I was a 4-H kid. And she has a <laughs> master's with history, and I'm a retired veterinary technician of 15 years. I was a head trauma nurse in a busy urban hospital. So we decided to put our heads together to educate, and that shows So what we're all doing is working. So is there one particular area of poultry that you consider your specialty?
0: Well, my PhD is in reproductive physiology. But, you know, there's all the behaviors, the management there is very fascinating to me. Then you have all the different types of breeds. I'm pretty much a generalist, though. I've go across all of it. I've done work in hatcheries. I work on a lot on broiler farms. I haven't spent much time on layer farms since I've come to Maryland. However, I do work with small flock layers. So it's it's just I'm not working with the commercial end of the layer industry here. We had people that were doing that when I came. They've since passed away. And, you know, I'm busy enough. I don't need to go try and pick up more work. We have some great resources in other states around us that have been stepping in and helping us. So
1: so we want to ask you a little bit. When we had our conversation back in February, you told me you were about to go out of the country. Yes, I did. And so you do some work internationally helping women set up as poultry keepers or furthering education as poultry keepers. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that got started?
0: So what you say is absolutely right. When we look around the world, the majority, and it's the history of the United States too, women were the ones that actually kept the chickens. In fact, our whole poultry industry, the way it is now is because of a lady got too many birds, you know, you know the story. So again, it it started on that. What's really interesting me now, it's almost all guys. Anyway, so we do work around the world. I was in Arkansas and I got invited to go to Kenya to work on a breeder project they were working mm-hmm. on, which turned out to be not breeders at all. It actually ended up being hatchery. But anyway, it's a really interesting story. But because of that, I, I really was fascinated by the fact that, you know, we have all these small flocks around the world. So we call them small holders usually when you're talking the international language. The chickens are usually kept by the women and the children and they're used kind of like a bank, so they have a few chickens. If somebody gets sick, we need to buy medicine. We sell a couple of chickens to buy the medicine, or we have to pay school fees. You know, we sell a couple of chickens, but we're really not working with them about how can we improve things, make those birds more productive and prevent disease. So since then, I counted up the other day, I think I've done 27 assignments around the world with different groups working on how do we improve small flock what can we do for small flock? In fact, tomorrow, as I mentioned earlier, we're actually doing one with Molly. It's going to be virtual again. The virtual, I understand it and it works in some ways, but I really prefer the on-farm. I'm having one of the young ladies I work with. She's going to be the one that's actually running the training. She's going to be doing that. I mean, I've assisted her. I'll be there every step of the way to make sure that everything goes well if she has any questions, but she's very competent. I'm not too worried about it. And I think it's important as we go forward to mentor more women and minorities into this. Because one of the things I see when I, and when I go to, to rural places around the world, whether it's Asia or Africa, is they want to see somebody that looks like them. Absolutely. I can walk in and say, okay, look, I can, you know, this is how you do it. They're looking at me going, yeah, well, you don't look like us. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's so important. And I didn't really realize that because to me, it's not something I've ever grown up really looking at, but I've grown up in a different lifestyle. So it's, it's not the same. And so really right now, what we're doing is trying to do some more of that. I am excited, though, because I'm going to be going to Madagascar to do some more small flock. I had the, the ladies that work with me help me, and we did four virtual talks there in the last two years, workshops. And so to finally go over and actually be able to get some pictures of what's going on on the ground to make sure that what we're trying to train these people is actually going to meet the needs of them is really exciting to me.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the actual training? What do you go over with the women? Do you help set up the shelters, the runs, the coops?
0: And you're, you're starting off right there. And one of the things I teach everybody is use what you have. We're so fortunate here where we are. You know, you want to run something, you run down to the store, pick it up. Uh, it's not an option in most of the world and in a lot of the developing areas. And the other thing is it costs money. So if you need a feeder, make one. I mean, I've got pictures of kids when I worked with an orphanage in Liberia, and they sent me some pictures of the kids making waters and feeders out of bamboo. Bamboo is nice. free. They cut it down. I'm watching these kids swinging machetes barefoot. and I'm like,
1: eh, maybe <laughs> don't get an extra toe in the feeder, please. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> but again, teaching people to use what they have and the resources that they currently have available are some of the things we will always start to do. But one of the first things we all do is start on health. And mm-hmm. what is the one thing we said during COVID? Well, limit exposure. Don't go around. So trying to get people to limit exposure of their birds is one of the very, very first things that we work on teaching them how to select the proper bird. Like I said, your child gets sick. You grab the biggest chicken because it's going to get you the most money and sell. So which birds are you selling? You're selling your best and your biggest and keeping the small end. So we see this genetic trend as birds to get smaller over time. Right. So we're trying to teach people to actually, you know, the best bird is the one you need to keep so that your right. offspring are better. And maybe you have to sell two of the lesser, but that's what you need to start looking at. So little simple things, housing can be whatever they have. I mean, it could be a mud brick building. It could be bamboo. It can be whatever we have. So we try and work with what resources they have and help them develop out from there.
1: Are predators a big problem? I would imagine every area has. Yeah, it it is.
0: Worldwide. Yeah. (laughs) It's like some predators are worse than others. I mean, I had a farm in Arkansas. Let me tell you what, when a black bear decides it wants to go in there, it, it goes in there. Oh boy. So yeah. And some of those places in Africa where they deal with some of those animals, there's some tough things to deal with. Okay. Can you
1: name some of the predators from around the world that you've seen for the chickens?
0: You know, I'm not sure if baboons go after chickens or not, but they would scare the heck out of me because I've seen them in towns and they're big and oh, they got yes. a big teeth. I've never Googled to see if they do <laughs> or not. <laughs> but one of the things we do see a lot of is the weasel family. Yeah. Whatever they are throughout the world, they're, mm-hmm. they're always one of the worst ones we can deal with. They, they seem to be a, a tough one. Snakes. That's another one that people often don't look at. My wife got a picture last year. She was taking care of my daughter's birds and opened a nest box and there was a big black snake with an egg in its mouth and bless her. She took pictures of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, usually we do try though. when We have animals causing us problems here in America because we can afford to just relocate them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're usually out of the way, but in a lot of parts of the world and a two for us losing an egg or two is not a big deal, but in some of those places that is a big deal.
1: Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, and we're
0: also fortunate that most of our snakes aren't poisonous. We have that advantage.
1: So are there any particular breeds that you are seeing these women either keeping or wanting to keep?
0: They use a lot of the local breeds. I'm fine with that, but the local breeds will never produce like some of the modern breeds. Some of the sex link birds like we have in the United States, you see them the Golden Comet. Those are pretty much available throughout the world. And I do encourage people to spend money on it because they will produce and they're very forgiving. They're easy to raise. In fact, I tell people in America, that's one of the first birds to start with. They're easy. They're forgiving and they're going to produce like crazy that is one thing we do try and get in there because some of the local breeds may produce 20, 30 eggs a year. Don't get me wrong. It's a great start. But if I can get something in that'll produce 200 with good right. care, even more, this is going to make a bigger impact on their family and their environment. Because one of the things we really want to do is we want to get people to use eggs in the diet because as kids go through weaning, they off the mother's milk and they start to grow. We see a real drop in the nutrition level of those children. And that's a very important time in their mental and physical development. So we need to get some high-quality proteins and fats into those kids. And eggs are the perfect thing to do. So we really want to encourage that. And as I'm going through this, I was doing some work in Burkina Faso. We were supposed to go over there, but they had a military coup, unfortunately. One of the things, next step we were going to do is work with people about using eggs in their cooking. hmm we tell them, OK, well, you need to use more eggs, but we don't tell them how to cook with them. So let's right. train these people to put the eggs in the food so that they're actually starting to use them. And in, in that way, we can get them into the diet and try and help these younger generations. so The next generation doesn't have some of those developmental issues.
1: My eat. question is, they're not cooking with the eggs. Are they just using them to rehatch them to get more chickens then? Is they're doing some
0: really- of that. And then the chicks and they do use some eggs, but it's not something like we do today. I mean, one of my favorite thing to do with kids today is asking what their favorite way to eat eggs.
1: Is. Yeah. We have a whole segment that we do every single week called Cracking the Eggs. So we do an egg recipe on the show once a week. And we list all of our favorite egg recipes on how we can use right. them because people are getting so many eggs and then they're like, what do we do? Yeah. It's endless.
0: People don't realize though, we eat eggs every day that you don't even notice. i oh, got yes. some pretzels here. There's eggs in that. There's
1: eggs uh, you in know, that,
0: yeah. cake, cookies, brownies, all these things we put eggs into. So we're putting them in our diet in ways we don't even see. Mm -hmm. Right. What can we do to those type of situations? So we're getting it in there. So we get it in these diets for these kids. And it's it's a very important thing. And and I'm really concerned about that with the situation in the world today with the wheat prices the way they are. Right. I mean, I hate to say it for us. It's a pain in the butt, but it's deadly for other parts of the world. I'm very concerned about that.
1: It is. For sure. This is really fascinating. A couple of months ago, we had a registered dietitian on the show who really went over the nutritional value of eggs and how egg protein is so bioavailable. And it's important in everyone's diet, certainly children's diet. But what is fascinating to me is that you're telling us that you are helping women learn how to manage poultry flocks. But the reality is you are teaching women how to change their entire life.
0: That's what we want to do. The first trip you go over with like, I got this, man. I'm going to show you guys everything's great. You know, we're going to do it the way we do it here. You know, that's not the way to answer. It. And I was fortunate enough as a young man, I spent two years in South America as a missionary. So it's not my first time. And, and I get that, you know, we might have our way of doing it here. But when I go to Africa, I might be training you. I don't want you to use electric feeders and all that. I want you to use people. If I go into an area with 80% unemployment, why am I putting something in with electric, which is very right. expensive, non-reliable when I can hire people? That said, there's the caveat of you've got biosecurity you have to really follow, but Mm -hmm. there's ways to do it. And so when you go into these situations, you have to take the knowledge you have because the science is the same, but how you apply that science is very different based upon the assets and resources of each location.
1: It makes total sense. It does. You know what I think we need to do is take a bunch of leghorns and Rhode Island Red Heritage breeds over and those chickens will lay them lots and lots of eggs and they're hardy. The hybrids do not have as long a lifespan. That's part of the issue. they are trade-offs. Yeah, Yeah, there's trade-offs. There's There's
0: there's trade-offs. They're designed to lay a lot of eggs quickly. I've seen some three and four years old, and they're still doing good. But they aren't going to keep them that long. You're probably at that point going to sell it in the market. It's going to be food and start over again because of the drop in production. And that's with any kind of breed, even our heritage. I mean, I I like our heritage. I will have heritage breeds as soon as I can retire and have birds again. Trust me. You're going to see my backyard. I'm going to have all kinds of stuff. I've already got plans, but I I got a ways to go. But when we do that, I'm dealing with situations there. How do I feed people effectively? Yeah, you know, I personally don't care for cage layers, but if I'm in a third world developing country, a cage layer is the absolute best way to go to feed people.
1: I can Mm -hmm. see that.
0: At the same time, it may not be the best thing for the welfare of the hen. So where's my trade-offs? Life is not simple as cut and dry. We deal with first world problems here. We go over there. We're going to deal with, we have limited resources. How do we get the most limited resources? We don't want to mistreat animals. Please don't ever think I'm saying that at all. But how do I utilize those in a way that I can maximize my return for the people? And we could get way off on a tangent here because one of the biggest mistakes I've seen is some of these groups that go over and do things for these countries. We send youth over on a church trip to do things. I don't see that negatively. I think it's great. But why would I send a bunch of youth over to build a building that they could build themselves when they have high unemployment? Why not send a youth over there to assist them to pay for it, but let them build it. Let them get the investment into it and put the money in their pockets. Is a much bigger return. Yes, it's going to change the life of that student that went there, but what does it do for the local people? And we see the same thing with drilling wells in different places. We go out and we drill all these wells. Look what we did. Well, now population booms, water table drops. Now we either need for wells. If I dig for wells and my cities go dry, my wildlife reserves go dry, all these things. We did these mistakes in our country. Mm-hmm. We did them decades ago. We need to make sure we don't take these same problems in other countries. And that's why you have to have this 30,000 foot view. Some of the very best projects I've worked on started off with, let's teach farmers to be more efficient at growing grain. Great. Now that we've got more grain, what do we do with it? Now you bring in the poultry because now we can sell this as a way to sell our grain. So it's actually, you're still selling grain, but you're selling it in the form of the chicken. It's the value added. So we have to look at things as a systemic type of a thing because I can't just say, oh, you're going to do more eggs. Well, that was a problem we've run into. And i see seen that as, okay, now we have more eggs, but have we taught them how to use them in their diet? Have we Mm -hmm. taught them so that it's culturally acceptable to use? How can we get them now to the kids that really need them? So we need to look at these big pictures. You learn as you go along. Does that make sense? And that's why I really wish.
1: fascinating.
0: I would really like to mentor somebody in because when I was in a meeting the other day, I was on the youngest end.
1: Really?
0: Yeah, because it takes time. I'm fortunate. University of Maryland lets me travel. Bless them for that, seriously. I mean, they see the value because I do bring stuff back. There's stuff I've learned in Africa. We use in Maryland now. And stuff oh, wow. I've seen in Asia that we do. Just little tricks, little things. And it's, so it's valuable for all of us. But they also mm-hmm. see the value of helping other parts of the world. As long as I keep my job done, I think they'll keep happy with me.
1: Excellent. And you're doing a brilliant job of teaching these women how to keep their flocks safe and how to utilize them and utilize the eggs. I mean, it's education. They need needs to be done. I think you made an excellent point early on too. And that is having people that these women identify with. I'm a former librarian, and when I went into librarianship, it never occurred to me the value of a child seeing themselves on the cover of a book. It makes them feel like their identity is validated and they matter. Someone of a different gender, from a different culture, coming in and saying, well, you just need to do this.
0: Yeah. And, and I've heard that. Well, you can do it. Look at you. You're a white male. I'm a black female. And I guess it's not something I really, I never really thought about it, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Right. I do think there is value, though, in teaching them. It's a tough situation. I don't know how to answer it. And I guess to me, I don't understand because I grew up in a different way. I'm not a minority, so I don't understand why it needs to be that way. But I see data on that. The other thing you need to realize, too, is a lot of these women are very illiterate. Mm -hmm. Um, I was using Jenny Rhodes and and Megan Perdue were helping me with a project in Southern Madagascar, and they weren't taking notes. And the one woman says, this is so much to remember. And Jenny goes, well, why aren't you writing it down? Well, she didn't know how to read. Right. Then he asked, what's the literacy rate? Well, when it came back at 12 to 13 percent. Mm. So we've really been spending a lot of time on how to educate in a visual way. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that Megan has spent a lot of time on the last few weeks. You know, we've been going back and forth because she's going to talk tomorrow with these women on selecting hatching eggs. Pictures right. of eggs. Good, bad, good. You know, got a green check, red X. I mean, we're trying to make it just as simple as we can. So we, we have this material, we want to develop it in a way that it can be spread and disseminated so that anybody can use it. And so it's kind of a hard way to do, but it's something that we don't really think about until you get in there and actually experience and see it.
1: It makes complete sense. We grew up differently. We grew up with, like you said, first world things, first world privilege, and we're not minorities. So trying to figure out how to approach things, it must take a lot of thought and trial and error. My question is a little more practical. What do the women use for things like handling? How do they handle the eggs?
0: They usually try to use them up really quick. I can show pictures of markets. You've got stacks of eggs everywhere in the sunshine. They just stand on the side of the road and sell them that way. I had a great picture somewhere. Megan's going to use it tomorrow of a, of a lady in Ethiopia. And she stores her hatching eggs in a little cabinet in the corner of her room. Well, that's cool. Out of the way. It's out of the sunshine. That's a great example of how to store eggs. So just simple things. But again, you're in an areas without electricity, without refrigeration. So things need to be utilized. And, and eggs are fairly safe for a few days, as long as they were clean. It's not a big deal.
1: right? So they're really utilizing broody hens to hatch. Yeah. And just knowing like simple things is important to them and can help them along the way. Would the broody hens be the local breeds?
0: Yeah. One farmer I looked at, and again, it was Liberia. He had a barn and it was fenced in and he had all these baskets. And each basket had a broody hen on a nest. Okay. So the hen had their own basket and then he had food and water there. And as they'd hatch, you'd move them into the other end. And it was kind of cool. I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty dang good guy. You yeah. Know?
1: <laughs> yeah, without electricity, I would think you'd have to use yeah. a birdie. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, no there, are,
0: there are incubators out there that run on paraffin lamps. Nice. If you Google them, we had them in the United States decades ago. But there are some newer type versions that we do use in developing parts of the world. So you just use like a kerosene lantern. You hook it up there. The heat off that goes through and cycles through. And that's what heats the eggs.
1: Oh, wow. Interesting. I just love your mission and what you're doing because it brings us all together. Chickens bring us all together. You're doing such a good job in education to these women. And like you said, chicken ladies, it's such a thing way back in history. The majority of our listeners are female. They're the chicken ladies that are still raising their chickens out there.
0: It is cool. I don't know. I just like chickens it's just yeah. fun. There's so many varieties. I can't wait till I can start raising chickens in my backyard. I'm going to have to have multiple coops just for all the playing around I'm going to do.
1: That's right. That's how this works. And so I happen to know what your favorite breed is. But why don't you share that with folks?
0: Oh, my favorite breed's light brown Leghorns. I love <laughs> them. But I really like old English games too. Full standard size. I mean, there's okay. something about them. And I had a little rooster the other day. Oh, man. He was aggressive. A little bandy, probably weighed about a pound and a half. I mean, he'd take <laughs> on me. He didn't care. I'm like, I'm so proud of you, little guy. How to have that kind of bravery? He'd go after something two hundred and fifty times bigger than him. He was like slowing down. He's got every intention of winning. It's like you're not going to win, but I bless your heart.
1: Roosters have such huge hearts; they're just amazing. I have eight roosters because I can't get enough of them. They're just so much
0: fun. Oh, I, and the sound of a rooster crowing! I'm sorry, people might complain about that. I love it.
1: I've said this multiple times on the show. I do not understand how people complain about a know. rooster crow because it makes me happy. It brings sounds of farm and old countryside and. I don't understand what the big deal is about a rooster crow. I really (laughs) don't.
0: I had to go to a funeral in northern Mexico, Colonia Juarez. And I wake up in the morning at about 6 a.m. The sun's coming up. There's donkeys braying, cows mooing, roosters crowing. I looked at my wife and said, I ain't never leaving. I'm in heaven, man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's
1: (laughs) another thing.
0: It was perfect.
1: (laughs) Donkeys braying. I (laughs) love that sound. (laughs) It is so funny. I love the fact that you love chickens so much chickens bring on happiness. People don't understand until you have a chicken and then you fully get it and understand it. (laughs) How smart, how emotional, it's amazing. I think
0: it's more working with nature. I mean that. I enjoy that. I like the outside. You know, I probably would have been good in accounting, but you know, you've got to do with what makes you happy. Why go do something you're miserable at?
1: It's true. We're glad you're in the chicken world. Absolutely. (laughs) What an amazing resource for... I just want to retire as soon
0: as I can so I can go get me a whole bunch of chickens.
1: (laughs) So I have another breed question. I'm wondering if amongst all those local breeds that you're seeing in these countries, are there any of the heritage breeds there that you actually do quite like?
0: You know, I've never worked with enough of them long enough to really say Okay. And I mean that sincerely, but we do see a lot of breeds from America because at one point they did take a lot of Rhode Island reds was a very popular one that they would spread around the world to try and breed things up. Bangladesh in particular, there was a lot of Rhode Island red in a lot ah. of their breeds and so they've intermixed. But again, remember, a breed is only something that we make now. We qualify a breed because it looks like this, but I could grow a chicken up that never came from that breed that looks just like it. Would it therefore be from that breed?
1: That philosophical question posed all the time is, it, if it meets the breed standard, is it? Right. Right. right.
0: So what is a breed? And that's what I tell people. If you can't find what you like out there, make your own. Have fun with it. Like I said, my daughter had some light brown Lagerns that were show quality class that laid blue eggs. Had the wide earlobes and everything, but they laid blue eggs. They started out by Dr. Tom Whiting in Colorado. They went to the University of Arkansas with Dr. Bramwell for a while. She had him, but she was young. And then she started playing and intermixing all this other stuff. And now that whole thing is no more. And I'm like, dang it, man.
1: Yeah. Oh, we're talking about what? The Whiting True Blue?
0: Whiting True Blue. Yeah. You know, I've met him several times. He's an absolutely fascinating individual. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Intelligent. Oh, he's a good guy. We were just joking around one time. I said, I want a blue bird that lays a blue egg. <laughs> Few years later, he came out with that. I don't know if it was because of that. I have no idea. But he came out with that later on. And then Dr. Bramwell got him, and he thought of him to be show-quality light brown laggerns. And then, anyway, went from there. Oh,
1: that's hilarious. I mean, most breeds developed in a geography, or a lot of the American Heritage breeds that are around 100 years old, were breeding projects for chicken fanciers. That's yeah, where they so came from. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of monks.
0: Yeah, there is. And you know what? There's land that's races true. everywhere. But the thing is, when I look at developing, though, The reason I like the single, well, actually broilers are good too. The reason you look at that is just because of the efficiency. In a Mm -hmm. world where we're limiting resources and all that, we have to find ways to get things improved. And we can, one of the questions I've been asked many times is we want our local birds to produce like the modern birds. And I will tell everybody, you're absolutely right. We can do that, but it's going to take 50 years and a few billion dollars. Yeah, because that's what it took to get where we are. You're better off taking in some of these genetics and throwing in there and trying to breed yours up or you're better off just going with the newer. And I'm not trying to get rid of land races. I'm not trying to get rid of anything. In fact, I was encouraged somebody to start something new today. So Mm -hmm. look at what your assets are and what it is you want to do. You know, if Mm -hmm. you want to do breed preservation, hats off. That's awesome. If you want to try and build something new, you want all these different genetics and one type of bird, go for it. But if you're trying to feed people, that's a whole nother thing.
1: It is. We have the freedom here in the U.S. to play with breeds if we want to, where in other parts of the world, it is absolutely survival. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for
0: sure. Absolutely. And you nailed it. So we have to, when you go in those situations and those carts of the world, leave your prejudice and your ideals behind and look at the world through their eyes and try and help them. They may not see animals the way we do yet, mm-hmm. but how can we help them get there? Because meat is going in an election is not going to solve the problem. We need to go in and work with them and help them develop and to be better. But lecturing, belittling, those things are to have no place in it. And and talking down has no place in it. We're all on this planet together. We all should help each other. That's my opinion. It's a
1: start. We all need to work together. You go over and you educate the women and hopefully they take at least one thing that you're saying and implement it into their system and make it better. And if you do that around the world like you are, you're making a difference in the world. And that says a ton. I guess the tricky part there is trying to figure out what is education to them, not talking down to them, finding the useful bits that visually. they that actual help. Not doing a woman because she can't read or write. Instead, giving her yeah. what she can, use she can use visually. Yeah.
0: And That was really great for our agents here that I'm working with to see that mm-hmm. because trying yeah. to explain this is one thing. Dealing with it's another.
1: One of our missions is regular veterinary treatment for backyard chickens. Right here in Maryland, we feel like we have an embarrassment of riches because we have no fewer than five vets in our area who will treat poultry.
0: See, that's amazing because you need to send me the list because I don't know who they are. I get calls all the time.
1: Oh, Oh, yeah. We will. Yeah. 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 Seriously. Our listeners, these are their beloved pets. Yes. And we think that if that's your pet, you don't want to prolong suffering. You need to get them treatment. So what does veterinary care look like in the rest of the country? And I'm imagining the rest of the world, it's pretty nil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There are countries I've been into that didn't even have diagnostic labs up and running that were effective. So
1: if you don't even have it for people, I can't imagine then for animals at that level This has been really great stuff. It's been really great talking to you and getting to meet you. You are a wealth of information, and we commend you for your work worldwide with chickens and all your great information about the avian flu, because when we want reliable, we're coming to you. Yeah, we would love to have you on again, John. University of Maryland, thank you for having John as a a poultry specialist.
0: Send my boss a note about that, will you? Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) By the way, we do have a, a good website where you can find factual information. And I do want to promote that. It is University of Maryland Extension. If you Google and then look for the poultry page, we have a whole small flock section. And if you find something that's not working right, let me know and we will fix it. The university switched our website around, so we're still finding stuff that we need to correct. But. Oh, okay. And I'm that willing. will also have any upcoming events we're doing. It'll have resources for avian influenza and other things as well.
1: Perfect. I will link that in our show notes. We'll keep an eye out on events because anytime you have something coming up, we'll be happy to promote it on all of our social media. Yeah. Right.
0: I appreciate the time. I enjoy this kind of stuff, man. I get paid to do it. That's what's awesome.
1: (laughs) That's pretty. Yeah, that's a good job if you can get it. Well, thank you again, John. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We just want to thank John one more time for coming on the show. We had a great conversation, and I'm sure we'll have him one again in the future. Yeah, it was great. Okay, so let's move on to. Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. And this week. This is your recipe. Oh, yeah. This is one of mine. I love this This one. is blueberry cornmeal coffee cake. Yes, which sounds weird, but is ridiculously delicious. Oh, I'm sure. It sounds delicious. It comes together super quickly. It's a one-bowl recipe, and it is very easy to convert to gluten and dairy-free. As always, when you visit the recipe on our website, we'll have the gluten and dairy-free conversions. Yes. We've made this with blueberries fresh from the garden in June and July, and they tasted amazing. But it's still really great if you use frozen berries. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Use Just what you Just ma- make sure they're defrosted. You can actually use them still pretty frozen. They bake okay. I was going to say, do they put a lot of moisture into this cake? I think the bigger problem is if they're half defrosted and you have a lot of juice that ends yeah, up in there. that's what I was thinking. So I would say either have them completely defrosted or completely frozen. Right. One of the two. So pretty standard ingredients for a coffee cake, mm-hmm. butter or dairy-free butter. Sugar, brown sugar. It only uses two eggs. Okay. Some vanilla, buttermilk or dairy-free buttermilk. Flour, we used Bob's Red Mill gluten-free one-to-one. You can use whatever kind of regular wheat flour you like. Right. A cup of cornmeal or corn flour. Okay. Corn flour doesn't have as much texture, but it still tastes really good. Okay. And then baking powder and blueberries. Easy. Easy. Easy peasy. I do this in a nine by nine inch glass baking dish, but you can pretty much do it in anything that's eight or nine inches. It works just fine. It starts with creaming your butter and your sugars together, which most recipes with stuff like this, that's how it starts. You're going to cream that all together. You're going to add in your other ingredients, mix it slowly, add the eggs and vanilla and beat until it's fluffy. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy. It is. Then, then your dry ingredients go in. Once that's blended, you fold in the blueberries and pour it in the baking dish. And then make a pot of coffee and have your friend come over and Heck talk yeah. chickens. I and, would say so. And eat some coffee cake with some coffee. Uh, that's funny that this is one I've never made for you. I've never had this one. Well, we have to remedy that. Yeah, I mean, you've always talked about this one. I have not had this one yet. Okay. But I see that in our future sitting here at our table with our coffee and our blueberry coffee cake. Oh, it's so good. I will definitely make it. To me, it reminds me a little bit of a cornbread with the cornmeal in there. It is a little bit. Corn flour makes it a little less so, but yeah. the cornmeal, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's like, like a blueberry a, cornbread it. It's like a sweeter, slightly less textured cornbread. Yeah. The first time I made this, I was like, I don't know about this. Yeah. This might not work. My sister puts blueberries in corn muffins and mm-hmm. they're good. Yeah. So you it's know, kind of the same premise. It really is. Yeah. And it's pretty Southern. Yeah, everybody should try it. Yeah, use up a you got to make mix. it for the next time I record. And next week, uh, I believe we are working four days. I think so. <laughs> we will need the fortitude of some. Yes, coffee cake. we will. Yeah, I'll definitely make it. Okay, so let's move on to retail therapy. Retail Thera- therapy. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about the vintage chicken pottery from the Pensbury pottery. Yes. Pensbury was interesting to me. They were only in business for like 20 years. So they operated in Pennsylvania from 1950 to 1970. Yeah. And remember, I'm a sort of hobby ceramicist, mm-hmm. so I do. They have that look to they it. They do. It they're, they're very handmade. Yes. Very folksy. Their pottery was essentially hand-decorated redware crockery, and it has become very collectible. And it's very Dutch. So if you're yeah. familiar with Pennsylvania, Dutch, the Amish area, Lancaster, that kind of area, you're going to understand the style of this pottery. Yeah, they were essentially divided into two folk styles, the mm-hmm. Pennsylvania Dutch folk style and the Americana folk style. Yeah both really nice but very they're not quite primitive i think folksy is the right word they have a little primitive look to them that word did pop into my brain when i look at all this stuff yeah slightly primitive but also american folk definitely i see all that stuff the main thing is pennsylvania dutch definitely it definitely is a regional pottery that took on the life of what was around it the couple that started this were german immigrants Mm -hmm. so that's not too far off right i mean you can see it It's really beautiful. And a lot of the pottery goes around the yellow and orange glazes. Yeah. yeah. It has the rooster that's somewhat primitive looking. Right. They did a whole rooster line. Mm -hmm. You can find it in a couple different glazes, but there are plates. Mm -hmm. There are tea and coffee pots, cake plates, bowls, serving dishes, canister sets. Oh, yeah. And the canister sets I love because instead of knobs, they have roosters on the top as well as the roosters painted on them. This is something that if you collect, it's going to always be vintage. It does not exist anymore. Like Holly Ann said, the company was from 1950 to 1970. So you're going to be looking. If you're in the Mid-Atlantic area, the place I would go would be to antique stores or malls or thrift stores in the area of the Pennsylvania Dutch because it was regional to that area. So you may have luck there. If you're not there... Etsy and eBay are your best friends. Absolutely, I've definitely found some of it on eBay. Let's backtrack a little bit because I'm going to tell you about their bird statues. Okay. So they produced bird statues and figurines and they created several sets of hens and roosters together. Yeah, They tend to be about 10 to 12 inches high. Right. And they're found in a few different color glazes. I love them because you know how I love chicken couples. Right. Well, on eBay, I found one of the blue and white roosters. Okay. And they sell for a pretty high amount. But the rooster had his comb chipped up and someone had colored it in with blue paint. <laughs> and so, I don't know, I think I got it for $15. That's great. It's really good. It's a really Here's good Here's one on Poshmark. Vintage Pensbury Pottery Brown and White Art Pottery Chicken 12-inch. $100. That's about what you pay for them. These are highly collectible. It's something that if you want to start a collection of something, yeah. there's enough to it so that you can set a table It has a lot of serving dishes, I've noticed, also. There are a lot of serving dishes. They're really nice. So if you want to throw a chicken dinner party, this is something that would look really pretty on a table. Mm -hmm. If you like those yellow and orange hues of the pottery, that's what you're going to get a lot of with it. I also have a tea set. Yeah, you have some of it. I personally do not have it yet. I have not found any. It's hard to find. I thought maybe when I went to that antique mall a few weeks ago, fourth of July, I would see something, but I did not. Well, it takes a while to come across it. Somewhere down the line, we're going to do another pottery called the Stangle Pottery in Pennsylvania. Right. And that I have found locally. Yeah. Not tons of it, but i found enough of it. So, yeah. It's one of those things where you just have to turn over every bowl and plate yeah. and, and look and see. But if you see plates that are decorated with folksy Amish couples or Pennsylvania Dutch themes, right. take a look at the bottom and it might be marked Pensbury. Definitely. So if you have it, share stories with us. We can't say this enough. We love it when you send us your pictures. We love it. We will give you a story on Instagram or on Facebook. That's how we can really share things for you. But if you send them over, we will definitely get them up. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are profiling the Rhode Island White. Yay. Our main topic is coop reviews. This is a big one for us. Yes. Yes, We are reviewing Roost and Root Coop Company's new coop, the Urban Coop, and Fiona is reviewing Nestera's new coop. Yes, our recipe. We're going to do some new variations on deviled eggs because it's the time of the year for those. It really is. And retail therapy. We are reviewing ManaPro's Hydro Hen. Yes, we are. Okay. So, what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.